Once again, good morning, church. So glad that you were here with us on Easter. I, I want to send a, a special greeting to our brothers and sisters over in the gym who are worshiping this morning. I hope that those cinnamon rolls are fantastic. It's Easter. It's Easter. It's the greatest day of the year. And I decided that you all deserve to hear a really good sermon on Easter. And you might say to me, well, pastor, we deserve to hear a good sermon every week or whatever. But Easter, you really deserve a good sermon. So I want to let you behind the curtain a little bit. Every good sermon strives to answer three questions. Those questions are, what, so what, and now what? What, so what, now what? What happened? Why does it matter? And what implication does it have for my life? Every good sermon answers those three questions. What, so what, and now what? So the question for us as we begin is, what is the what of Easter? Well, the what of Easter is, Jesus Christ was dead, and now he's alive again. He was dead. He was, he was really dead. For three days, he was dead, and now he isn't. You see, Christianity didn't begin with the Bible. And Christianity didn't begin because a group of people got together in the first century to initiate a social movement. Christianity began with the resurrection. Jesus Christ was dead, and now he isn't. That's the what of Easter. And with that in mind, I need to take just a, a quick planned sidebar as we begin. Because the truth is, Easter is a special Sunday, not just for people who work in the church, but for people who come to church. And on Easter Sunday, I'm very much aware that we tend to have three types of people in worship. The first type of people, type of person, is, is the person who comes and says that they believe in the resurrection, but sometimes they wonder, did it really, really happen? They believe, but they wonder. My guess is that most people in the church fit into that category. They believe, but sometimes they wonder. A second group of people who come to Easter are people who wonder how anybody could ever believe this. That a man who was dead for three days came back to life? Come on, we're 21st century people. Well, I want to let the skeptics in the room know you are welcome in this place. Even if the only reason you came to worship here today is so you could go to brunch afterwards, you are welcome in this place. And there's a third group of people. There are those who believe but wonder. There are those who wonder how anyone could ever believe. And then there are those who wonder if they will ever believe again. Folks who grew up in the church, who encountered the Christian faith at an early age, who were baptized, who went to church camp, you threw the stick in the fire, the whole thing, right? But then you grew up, and maybe you left home, you went to college or out on your own, and you started to encounter some different questions about faith. Maybe you even brought those questions back to the church, and the church didn't give you very good answers to those questions. There are people who used to believe 
and wonder if they'll ever believe again. Here's the good news. Whether you're someone who believes but wonders, or someone who wonders how anyone could ever believe, or someone who wonders if you'll ever believe again, the good news is Easter's for you. And our time this morning, we'll strive to offer something to every person who has come here today. So here's the good news. The good news is Easter is for everyone. What's the what of Easter? Jesus came back from the dead. Now, the truth is, there are a lot of people who doubt this assertion. And the chief indictment people level against the resurrection is a historical one. The suggestion is that the resurrection is simply a myth. And the argument goes like this. One group of people told a story to another group of people who told a story to another group of people, and eventually somebody wrote that story down. The idea is that, that the written accounts we have of the resurrection are so far removed from the actual event that they aren't trustworthy or viable. I want to spend just a few moments this morning challenging that argument against the resurrection. And to do that, I want to begin by sharing a timeline with you just to make sure we're all on the same page. So Jesus was crucified somewhere between the years 30 and 32 AD. Jesus was crucified somewhere between the years 30 and 32 AD. And then, 20 years later, the Apostle Paul visits the city of Corinth, where he establishes a church. So 30 to 32 AD, Christ is crucified. 52 AD, Paul visits the town of Corinth and establishes a church. And then 55 AD, Paul writes the letter of 1 Corinthians that we have in our hands today. Now, a couple of things that all scholars agree on. First, Paul was a real person. There was debate at some point in Christian history about whether Paul was a real person, even whether Jesus was a real person. There is no more viable debate over that. There's, there's no doubt that Paul was a real person, and there is no doubt that Paul wrote the letter of First Corinthians. Now, there are 13 books in the New Testament that ascribe themselves to Paul, that claim Pauline authorship, and there's some debate among some people as to whether or not Paul actually wrote all 13 of those books, but there is no debate about whether Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. With all of that in mind, I want to invite us to turn our attention to the text for this morning, and let me make my argument. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you. I want to remind you. So Paul is writing in 55 AD to remind them of what he told them in 52 AD. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. And then in verse 3, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. 
After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep, I love that language. The first century church believed in the resurrection to the point that they didn't even use the word death to talk about death anymore. They started to use the phrase falling asleep because if somebody falls asleep, what's going to happen? Yeah, they're going to wake up. But at the beginning there, in verse 3, Paul says, For what I received, I passed on to you. Paul's writing in 55 AD to remind them of what he told them in 52 AD. And what he told them in 52 AD was something that he had been told earlier. So how did Paul know that Peter and the apostles actually saw the resurrected Jesus? Well, the answer is, Peter told Paul that Peter had seen the resurrected Jesus. In Galatians, a book, another book that's indisputably written by Paul, Paul recounts his visit to Jerusalem. Galatians chapter 1 verse 18 says this, Then after three years, stop there for just a second. Jesus Christ was crucified somewhere between 30 and 32 A.D., Paul was converted to Christianity in the year 34 AD. And what he's telling us here in Galatians chapter 1 is three years after my conversion, which would have made it the year 37 AD, three years after my conversion, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter, Cephas, and stayed with him for 15 days. So think about that timeline. Three years after Paul's conversion in the year 34 AD, he went to Jerusalem. That's 37 AD. As little as five years after the resurrection, the man whose letter we hold in our hands today spoke with eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Within five years of people actually having borne witness to the resurrected Christ. My brothers and sisters, the notion that the biblical account of the resurrection is untrustworthy because it is chronologically too far removed from the actual event is an argument that simply doesn't hold water. Though some people would argue against the resurrection by saying, well, perhaps Peter simply lied about what he saw. You know how Peter died? He was crucified. In Rome. In fact, 11 of the 12 apostles died for their faith. Now what would compel a group of people to come together, invent a lie, and then die for it? My friends, that's illogical. If the primary argument against the resurrection is that it is a myth based on oral tradition... We've successfully negated that argument today. For within five years of the resurrection, Paul received first-hand testimony from those who encountered and interacted with the risen Jesus. These men were so convinced of what they saw that they died for it. Within five years of the resurrection, Peter told Paul. And the letter bearing Paul's testimony to that conversation is in our hands today. Given the evidence, we're left with no choice but to conclude that sane, logical people believed the resurrection was real because they saw a man 
who had been dead and was now alive. What? It really happened. So if you are someone who believes but wonders on occasion, is it really true? Know this. Those who bore witness to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ were so convinced of the truth of what they saw, they gave their very lives for the cause of Christ. If you're someone who wonders how anyone could ever believe such a thing, that a man was dead for three days and then came back to life, today we've heard a compelling argument based on the testimony of witnesses from the first century. And if you're someone who used to have faith and then encountered questions, and perhaps the church didn't give you very solid answers, Today we have. What? It happened. The dead man lives. That brings us to our second important question for any good sermon. So what? So what? Jesus came back from the dead. Why does that matter for our lives? You want know, to answer that question... I need to tell you a story. There was a man by the name of Father Vincent Donovan. He was a Roman Catholic priest, and he went to be in ministry with the Maasai tribes of Eastern Africa. They're in the area of Kenya, for the most part. If you grew up with parents who received National Geographic magazines, like I did, you have seen pictures of the Maasai people. Tall, stately, beautiful people. Father Donovan went to share the gospel with them. He spent years of his life living with these Maasai tribes. And in his book, Christianity Rediscovered, Father Donovan tells a story about an exchange he had one day with a certain Maasai elder. And the elder said to him one day, Padre, that's what they called him, Padre. Padre, when you talk about faith, you say that faith is just... Just about agreeing to something. When you have faith in something, you, you agree to it. But the elder said, that doesn't feel like a strong faith to me. He said, faith like that is like a white hunter who comes to our land to hunt large prey. The only thing that they use are their fingers and their eyes. That's not faith. And he said, Padre, have you ever seen a lion hunt? The lion uses everything at its disposal to pursue the object of its desire. His eyesight to track the prey. His hindquarters to propel him towards his charge. His forearms to deliver the death blow. And once the animal is down, the lion brings the animal to itself, making it part of itself. He said, Padre, that's what faith is. That's a pretty good definition of faith, don't you think? Using everything at our disposal to seek the object of our heart's desire. What a great definition. Father Donovan thought so too. In fact, 
he was a little ashamed. <laughs> he had, he'd come to Eastern Africa to, to teach the Messiah people uh, about faith in Christ. And this Messiah elder had just taken him to school on faith. But thankfully, class wasn't over yet. Because here's what the Messiah elder said next. He said, we did not search you out, Padre. You came in search of us. You sought for us on the plains where we get, graze our cattle, in the rivers where we gather water. You followed us into the bush. We didn't ask for you to come. We didn't want you to come. But come you did. You came to us and told us of the Most High God. You told us how we must seek after that God, even leave our lands and search, but we have not done this. We have not left our lands. We have not searched for this God. This God came in search of us. And has found us. We didn't long for God. God longed for us. All the while, you've told us that we were the lions, but in the end, the lion is God. The so what of the resurrection isn't just about the canceling of sin or the conquering of death. No, it's bigger even than that. When understood against the grand backdrop of human experience. The resurrection is the culmination of the greatest love story in history. It's the story of a creator who loved the creation so desperately. A father who loved his children so completely that not even death could hold back that love. Here's the so what of Easter. We have never been the ones who used everything inside of us to pursue God. We are not primarily the ones who seek. We are not the ones who long. We are not the lions. We're not the seekers, but the sought after. Not those who long, but the longed for. We are not the lion. The lion is God. The so what of Easter is that God loved us so much that God held nothing back. Not because you and I are so great, but because God's love is so great. I love to say it this way. The point of the story, the whole story of Scripture, but especially of Easter. Easter means that God loves you and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. God used everything at God's disposal to seek after the object of God's desire. You. You are loved. And there's nothing you can do about it. It is the single most defining truth of our lives. And this brings us, of course, to our final question. Now what? If the resurrection is real, and if it is the culmination 
of the greatest demonstration of love in history. If it means on a personal level that I am loved by the God of all creation and there's nothing I can do about it, what do we do with that? A colleague of mine wrote a book once called Preaching a Better Atonement. And in the book, he made an argument. He said, if the reason for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was simply to cancel sin, then the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ should have taken place over the the season of Yom Kippur the Jewish holiday that celebrates the atonement for sin. But the death and resurrection of Jesus doesn't take place over Yom Kippur. The death and resurrection of Jesus takes place over Passover. And Passover at its heart is a story of freedom. God's people were held captive in Egypt, hopelessly enslaved until God set them free. Jesus Christ came back from the dead, a testament to God's relentless love. And it was to set us free. Free from sin and death, yes, but that's not all. Jesus Christ came to set us free to truly live. To be connected with God through scripture, through prayer, in connection with Christian community, But the point wasn't just to set us free spiritually. Jesus also came to set us free from wasted, mundane existences. The dead man came back to life. A testament to the power of God's love for you. Now what? Now you're free. Go live like it. God has has placed dreams inside of us. From time to time, we catch glimpses of who we could be if only we were free, and now we are. From time to time, I I get invited to speak uh, to schools on Veterans Day. I'm a veteran and a, a public speaker, and so I get invited to do this. And I love the opportunity, but... I don't think that what I say is normally what they expect to hear. Because here's, here's what I say. I, I, inevitably, when I walk into these schools, the kids are waving flags, they're singing patriotic songs, and that's, that's, that's fantastic. But one of the things I say to them is, that's, that's not enough. These are, are, are women and men that we're honoring today who were willing to give what Abraham Lincoln called the last full measure of devotion. I'm glad that we wave flags. I'm glad that we can sing God Bless America. But if you really, really want to honor women and men who were willing and in some cases did give everything that they had that we might experience freedom. If you really want to honor them Don't just wave a flag or sing a song. If you want to honor them, graduate from high school. Go to college.
They put everything on the line so we could have freedom. And the greatest sin we could commit is to waste that freedom by being less than we could be. What? Jesus rose from the dead. It really happened. So what? The power that called Christ to the cross and from the grave was the power of love. This is a love story and you're the object of it. Now what? Accept Christ and go live. Live into your freedom. Go rock climbing or skydiving or bowling. I don't know what your thing is. Come help us pack 75,000 meals next weekend. But in the name of all that is holy, the loving God gave everything so we could be free. Don't waste it. What? He arose. So what? You are loved. Now what? Go and truly live. Yes. It absolutely is the greatest day of the year. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we thank you for the beauty and the wonder of Easter. We thank you for those who bear testimony to having seen you come back from the dead. We give you thanks behind for the meaning behind your resurrection. It wasn't just about sin or the conquering of death or the destruction of hell. It was the culmination of a love story. Through your struggles here on the earth, you prove to us once and for all that we are loved and there is nothing we can do about it. So help us to go forth and live into freedom. Father, I thank you for everyone who is in this church today. And God, I, I especially today, want to pray for those who perhaps have not accepted your love into their lives. And if on this greatest of all days, they're feeling this tug of your Holy Spirit in their lives, I pray that they would answer your call. Your call to experience love and the freedom of true life by simply praying a simple prayer to themselves like this. Dear Jesus, Thank you for loving me, for the gift of your cross and your resurrection. Today I accept you as my Savior and long to become everything you dreamed I could be. In Jesus' name.
Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, I want to invite you after worship, if you would, just come chat with me for a moment. I just want to celebrate with you, or, or Pastor Mark, if you're over in, in the gym. We want to celebrate with you. We want to pray with you. We want to make sure you have a Bible. We want to help you get connected, but mostly we want to let you know how proud we are of you. God bless you, my friends. And happy Easter. He is risen. Amen.